What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook, and I am buzzing because at the time this episode's airing, which is November 2018, we're just getting through the initial launch of the Wellpreneur Planner. We launched it over Black Friday weekend, and I am just so excited to have it in your hands. I'm actually recording this a few days before the launch, just because of the timing it takes to actually get it edited and get it out the door. But I've sent some sneaky pre-release copies to my personal coaching clients and a couple other contacts and friends. And the feedback I'm getting is really good. And I've also got my own box of books here, uh, my own box of planners. It's just, it's beautiful. It's really cool inside. I'm going to use this planner for my own planning for 2019. And I would love for you to check it out too. So the Wellprinter Planner is now fully available. It's on Amazon, hopefully worldwide. We've been having some issues as I've uploaded it in advance. It seems to not be appearing on some sites like Amazon Canada or Amazon Australia, but hopefully we'll get that figured out. But I've set it up to be for sale worldwide. So it's definitely available on Amazon US and UK and Europe for sure. So if you can't find it on your local Amazon site, come check with us in the Facebook community group, the Wellpreneur community, and I'll keep you updated on what's going on with that. But over these next few weeks, we are talking a lot about planning 2019 to make it your most incredible year yet. Actually, every Tuesday in the Facebook group, I'm going to be doing a little Facebook Live where I talk about one specific planning topic each week. So on Tuesday, November 27th, 2018, I'm going to be in the Facebook community talking about knowing your numbers and how to really wrap your arms around your numbers. And by that, I mean, not just the revenue and the profit in your business, but also your subscribers and your followers. And, you know, what are those key metrics and numbers that you should be tracking to really understand your progress? It's really important. And I know that a lot of times... I hear that wellpreneurs feel a bit uncomfortable with the number side and would rather just focus on engagement and creating products and working with clients. But when you're in business, you've got to know your numbers. So we'll be talking about that this Tuesday. So when you grab yourself a planner from Amazon, I would love to see some pictures of where you're doing your planning. You know, snap a shot with you in it with the planner or just the planner itself with your cup of tea or wherever you are and share it with the hashtag wellpreneurplanner. I think what's so cool about this is that even though we're each creating our own businesses, we're so not alone. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to completely create something new. You're tailoring what's working in health and wellness marketing for you and for your area and for your target market. So we can go through this process together and we can share what we're working on. I just totally love that. And I love that this year there's going to be so many of us, hundreds, hopefully thousands working through the Wellpreneur Planner process so we can share that as well. 
Also, because you're my podcast listeners, I'd love your support. And when you do buy the planner through Amazon, I would really appreciate it if you'd go back and leave a review. It was a bit different when I launched the Wellpreneur book because there was a digital version available. So we could do a promo where like the first day it was free and we could get loads of downloads and everyone wrote reviews and it was amazing. It's a little bit different now because it's just a print planner. So you've got to go on and buy it and then you've got to wait for it to be delivered. And then you've got to remember then to go back and write a review on Amazon. So it's a little bit of a slower process. So since you guys are the core of Wellpreneur, those of you listening to this podcast, I would really appreciate it if when you do place that order, if you'd remember to go back and leave a review because that will help boost it up in the rankings so that other people can also find out about the Wellpreneur Planner who might not already be part of the community. And that really helps me out. I so appreciate it. Okay, are you tired of hearing about the planner yet? You can tell I'm still excited about it. But I have a fantastic interview for you today. I'm speaking with healthy food chef Alia Dalal. Now, Alia, oh, wow, I met her several years ago now. And she was a member of one of my very first small group programs, which was called the Wellpreneur Incubator. Alia is a healthy food chef, a personal chef and was teaching cooking classes and doing personal chef services. And at the time we started to get to know each other, she was trying to figure out different ways to diversify her income and just expand her reach so she didn't have to spend all of her time just cooking in the kitchen, which she loves to do, but there's only a certain amount of that that you can do. And so it's really cool now to have Alia back here on the podcast and actually share what she's created. And today in particular, and the reason I wanted to have her come on was to talk about television. So Ali has had a lot of experience with getting herself onto television in a few different ways. She's done a self-produced show. She's also hosted a show on a local TV network, and she's created a cooking show for a private network, which is really cool. I didn't even know that existed as an option. It really got me thinking a lot about the potential to use video. You know, we talk a lot about doing online video, but she's doing actually television as video. And it's it's really cool. I think it'll expand your mind as to what's possible. And I know a lot of Wellpreneurs out there dream about having a TV show. So I think some of what she says will open your eyes and maybe like shatter some misconceptions. I know it did for me. Plus, Ali is just super cool. I love her website and her branding, her personality. It's just really cool how she's been able to turn this personal chef business and into something that really fits her and expand it in so many different areas. I think you're going to be really inspired. So don't forget, you can always come chat with us about this week's episode in the Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. And Ali is also a member of that group. So if you want to give her a shout out, you know, talk about something you heard in the episode, come over there and just tag us in comments and we can have a discussion about it. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Alia. Alia, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. It's been ages since we talked, actually. So I'm I'm excited to share what you've been up to with everyone. Yeah, I'm excited to catch up with you too. Okay, so just to start off with, how do you describe what it is that you do? Sure. So the tagline that I use for my business is that I'm a health and wellness chef. So that kind of is a pretty good descriptor for my values and what I do. But in terms of like a day-to-day job, it is still kind of confusing. But I basically split my services between working with the public. So like cooking classes, personal chef services, sometimes like coaching, in-home classes, things like that. And then half of the time I work with companies. So that might be doing consulting for product development for like new healthy food products or like TV and media as well. 
Awesome. And something that you do is you have a TV show and you do quite a bit on TV, I think. And that's one of the big reasons that we wanted to have you come on. So can you tell us a bit what you do for TV? Sure. So I've done a couple different TV projects. And, you know, some have been a little longer term, some have been shorter term. And it's something that I always kind of had in the the back of my head, even when I was in culinary school, like eight years ago. That was when like the Food Network was really big. And I think a lot of people who are chefs or probably a lot of listeners to the podcast. I know I've heard in talking to people, people are like, oh, one day, you know, it'd be really cool to have a TV show on, you know, cooking or acupuncture or whatever they're into. But probably like me, they're not taking like actual steps to do that. And that was like the case with me that I'm like, oh, this would be cool one day. And then I'd go cook for a private client or I would, you know, publish a blog post or I wouldn't really take a lot of steps to make that happen. And I think the other mystery when I was getting started is I just assumed that whoever was hosting like a local food show I'm in Chicago. So we have a pretty big network, you know, the people that you see on the different channels, I just kind of assumed that was like a full time job. And they got like a full time salary for it. And the first hosting like food show hosting gig that I was up for in Chicago, I found out during like the interview and screen testing process that they actually shot the whole show within two weeks. And then it played throughout the year, but you were basically paid the equivalent of like two weeks work. So that kind of planted a seed in my mind. I'm like, okay, well, this would be cool to do. But like, what else would I do? Or sometimes with like the shooting schedules of different things, you might get a cool hosting gig, but it might actually prohibit you from doing your actual work. And so you might like that was something I kind of struggled with, too. So basically, the three different main TV or video projects that I've done The first one was something that I created all by myself. And that was actually around the time that we met Amanda. So this was in 2015. I just had this idea for a live event that could be recorded. So we turned it into a web series. But the idea was ultimately maybe to pitch local networks or just kind of own it myself. And I have a little bit of a comedy background, like way back from college. And I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was a late night style show like Conan O'Brien or, you know, David Letterman, that type of thing. But it was really focused on food and beverage, because that's a really big part of Chicago culture. I think everyone knows the chefs, everyone knows the restaurant openings. It's just a really big part of our culture here. Comedy is as well with like Second City being here. IO, like a lot of different improv sketch groups are based here too. So I was like, this wouldn't this be cool? You know, you could open with a monologue, I could interview a chef or a farmer or, you know, a restaurateur. We could have some comedy sketches. Uh, I decided that we could have like a guest bartender come in and show how to make a cocktail. And so it was just like this idea I had. And I just basically was like, this thing should exist. So it took a while. It was like in my head for a while. But ultimately, I just started to put together some of my resources. I have some friends who have a restaurant that just opened. And so I was like, hey, could I on one of the nights you're closed, could I shoot in here? And they were like, sure. I had met a guy who was just starting with like a videography business. So he was super excited about the idea. So he offered to shoot it. And so I just kind of basically asking my friends to help out, but was able to put on this show. We did it once a month. I shot three episodes and it was a really great learning experience. I mean, it was really the show sold out super quickly. They just had like a real energy that you could feel it really worked, even though probably some of the people listening are like, that sounds like a really weird show idea. (laughs) But somehow it all just worked. And I was like, just I was kind of doing everything I was, you know, had a lot of friends helping, but like we would get to the restaurant and I would be like, 
moving chairs around. And then I would be like putting on makeup to do the interviews. And I was writing all the sketches. And it was kind of a lot to do. And I think that was my first big learning experience was like, there's a reason that these are all different jobs. (laughs) Um, And financially, too, even though I had a lot of people chipping in, it's still a lot. You know, it was a three camera show. So I had like three camera guys, you know, I had ultimately, while people were volunteering initially, I had to figure out a way to kind of pay for all of that. And so that's kind of what that project just ended up wrapping up. The videographer ended up, you know, taking on a different gig. And so it was one of those things where I was like, do I want to pay a few thousand dollars to put on the show every time and kind of see it through? Or should I kind of take a pause? And I actually did have a moment, you know, where I was like, you know, what's underrated having a podcast, like you can just do that yourself and you don't need like three cameras and makeup and stuff. So it was a really uh, great learning experience for me, though. And it was a lot of fun doing it. I ask with that show, like, did you have, it sounds to me like it was just a passion project. You were like, wow, this show needs to exist, and I'm going to make it. And it wasn't, it wasn't like something that was strategic for your business at that point, right? Absolutely not. Yeah, it was totally a passion project. And I think probably, you know, and I feel like you get this that, you know, when you're creative, sometimes it's just you need to like, if something's in your head for a while, you just need to like get out into the world or else you can't stop thinking about it. And so in retrospect, I could have made a lot of decisions that really would have helped me, you know, maybe shoot one episode, have it as a showcase piece, reach out to sponsors really quickly. I could have been really strategic about it. But instead, it was really just a passion project. And I think that's kind of why I didn't end up continuing it. Um, because I just didn't, it didn't fit into my business because I, I could have made some of those decisions to like support it financially, but I was too busy working, you know, and doing the things that actually pay me, which at the time was primarily personal chef services. And even though that's being a personal chef is, you know, more reasonable hours than being, say, a restaurant chef, it's still a lot of like long hours and physical work. It's not something that you can like shoot off emails at the same time. And so I just was kind of conflicted between doing the things that I actually needed to do to move my business forward and then doing some of the things that might be what I wanted my business to actually be eventually. Mm -hmm. So I know you have a couple other TV experiences that you're totally going to talk about, but I want to loop back to something you said before. Which you said, I was like a lot of people that had this dream that, oh, maybe someday I'll be on TV, but they weren't taking, they're not taking steps to make that happen. And I have to say, so I don't have any TV experience. And it, it's always just seemed like this mysterious thing, like, oh, maybe, and I know this isn't true, but I guess that's kind of how a lot of things feel before you know about them. It feels like someday something's just going to drop out of the sky and be like, here's a TV show, (laughs) you know, or like, (laughs) here's a book or like, here you can speak. Actually, that's not how it works. But for TV, I guess I still have that belief too. Like, oh, well, when you get famous enough, maybe somebody gives you a TV show. So I'm super curious, this idea of taking steps to make it happen. I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah. And I think the frustrating thing is like, you do hear about those people who were just given a TV show or a book deal, you know, and they had you know 300 Instagram followers or something. And so I think that does perpetuate that idea because there are people like that. But yeah, for the most part, for me, I mean, I think traditionally, if you wanted to have, obviously, there's a few different ways to be on a TV show. You can, well, let's focus on cooking since that's what I do. Obviously, you could have a cooking show on some kind of network or you could be like a host of a show. And those are kind of two different roles. 
And so I think traditionally, you know, doing things like taking on camera classes and all that stuff, probably even just from listening, you know, to my voice and the way that I talk, you can tell that I have not done that. And sometimes that's an advantage. You know, people do respond to you being like a real person who doesn't talk like a news anchor. And then, you know, sometimes that's a, a criticism you get too that, you know, oh, you say too many ums or, you know, your voice isn't low enough or things like that. But the steps I think that I realized I needed to take were just being on camera more and then putting whatever I did out there into the world. So that could be, you know, a YouTube channel that could be now Facebook Live, things like that. I think if you're you're too afraid to put something up on Facebook Live, I mean, what would you even do if you someone were to offer you a TV show? And I, I think like with things like that, like a book or a TV show, you just kind of assume you'd you'd figure it out or you wouldn't be afraid or you'd have a great idea just because you have this outside validation. But depending on the project, you know, people still don't really give you the content. They don't tell you what you're going to say, even as a host, you know, so you really do have to be able to generate a lot of that. And the best way to do it is really just to have done it. And so actually, it's just sorry, it's just like anything. Like when you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, you get better at things by doing them. And I remember when I was first starting my blog, like, I actually, I really wanted a TV show. And I really wanted a book. And I really wanted to get featured in the media. And then a couple of years later, I looked back on it and thought, thank God I didn't get featured then because I had no (laughs) idea what I was doing. (laughs) You know, like who knows what I would have said. And it's much better to like, you can practice these things, like you said, on Facebook Live or by blogging or podcasting so that then when that opportunity is there, you're ready for it. You're much more confident for it. Yeah. And I think the other thing for me, even without doing video, the reason that I'm so comfortable on camera is that I had been teaching cooking classes for so long. And then actually in the first couple of years of starting my business, and I started in 2011, I decided I was going to be a personal chef. I had like one client, so I needed to get a side gig. And what I did is I became a food tour guide in different neighborhoods in Chicago. So I would you know, take people around the Chinatown neighborhood and share food with them. And that was through a company, but I was giving live three and a half hour presentations to people, you know, a couple times a week. And so just even that, like connecting with people, being energetic, giving them information while also being entertaining and making them feel welcome, that's just become a big part of my style. And so when I'm cooking, you know, and someone turns the camera on, I just, I kind of do everything in one take. So all of the projects that I've done, you know, usually the producers are like kind of surprised because I'm like, oh, I drop a spoon. I like give a little lesson about dropping a spoon or something. I just kind of keep going because I've done it so many times in front of people. So I think that's a good way that you could start to whatever your skill is that you think you might want to share on TV, you know, it might just be talking, it might be demonstrating whatever your expertise is. If you do that just in front of people, it you don't even need to have a camera. But then when someone turns the camera on, you'll be really comfortable. So tell us about these other your other TV experiences because they're they're not self produced, right? They're something different, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the that was the first one that I did. The, that show was called Nightcap. But yeah, I was you know director, producer, writer, host, everything. But that project ultimately led to me hosting. Chicago food show called Chicago's Best on our WGN network. So I actually got a random inquiry one day on LinkedIn of all places from the head producer at this network. And I think he was reaching out to me that way to kind of show that it was more valid. Or maybe that's somehow how he discovered me or something. But it was one of those things where I was like, I never check LinkedIn like this is, you know, I don't even know how, how quickly I saw it. 
But basically, he'd seen that project on the internet and, you know, maybe kind of saw me a few other ways just being a person in the Chicago culinary scene and was like, hey, can you come in to our office and talk about being a guest host for the show? So the the food show, it's probably similar to ones in a lot of other cities. There's a host, they go into a restaurant that in this case, it's, you know, Chicago's best burger, Chicago's best uh, pierogi. And you go into the restaurant, you're in like the back with a chef or an owner there learning how to make it, you know, you eat it on camera, that type of show. So the longtime host of the show is kind of a Chicago celebrity. And she was going on maternity leave. So they needed someone to cover for her. And I ended up, you know, having that conversation and then being able to be the person who covered for her, which was kind of cool. And so that was like my first experience on, I guess, a network. Oh my gosh, you must have, I mean, how did you feel when you got that? Was it surreal? It was. I mean, on one hand, if we were talking about if you're, the context we're talking about TV is like being on the Food Network, hosting a Chicago food show for a few episodes is like not that big of a deal. But it was a little gratifying to me, like realizing that the Nightcap Project did, it took a while, but it did kind of pay off in some way, even though it was really indirect. And again, with hindsight, I was like, oh, wow, I really could have you know, reached out to a bunch of producers or sort of took this more in my own hands and not wait for someone to discover it. And then it was interesting because the Nightcap Project was so me. You know, I'm obviously very passionate about health-oriented food, about local food, high-quality stuff. And so that's what I chose to feature when it was, you know, my project. And then for a show that you're just the host for, you know, those decisions were already made. And so it actually, I did kind of have a little bit of like a moral quandary where I'm, I'm really not. Is it like Chicago's oh. best deep fried Twinkie or something? And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> right. It's like not to that extreme. And I'm not like opposed, you know, to people who deep fried Twinkies. And the show is like really fun. But it was this moment where I was like, is this why I'm here to do this? It's like me shoving a burger into my mouth. Like why? I'm on this earth, you know, even though I'm not like opposed to people doing that. And so I actually did have a talk with the producers because I, you know, I work with everything. I've worked with a lot of clients who have all different kinds of of health issues. So I don't necessarily have a perspective like, oh, I'm I'm getting everyone on a vegan diet or I, I get everyone on paleo or I don't really like put my flag down for any sort of particular diet. But I am known for doing more, you know, whole foods, more plant based oriented stuff. And so I kind of mentioned that to them because one of the episodes they had lined up for me was a barbecue show. And I was like, look, like I don't not against barbecue, but this is just really not what I'm known for. I in my personal life, in my chef life, I eat everything, I taste everything. But then when I go home, I, I usually just eat vegetarian. So they were like, I could tell they were like, are you kidding me? Like this, they were like, oh gosh, we should have, we should have vetted this girl. But then they were like, hey, you know, we actually have an episode that's coming up. They were going to have the original, like the co-host who was still doing the show do that one. And it was going to like local farms for like apple picking and, and pumpkins and things like that. And they're like, well, why don't we have you do that episode? So it actually worked out really well because I'm like, oh, that's like totally me. And so I'd actually reached out to a mentor before who's done some TV in the Chicago market and kind of told her like, hey, this is I know this is just this like small opportunity, but I'm a little hesitant to, you know, kind of start branding myself in a different way. It's not maybe as authentic to me. And her advice was like, look, I've 
encountered some of the same stuff. You know, people are like, oh, we want you to, you know, do this or host in this way. And she's like, I'm just, I stick authentically to who I am. And she's like, it always pays off. I might lose some opportunities, but then those same producers come back to me a year later with something different. And they thought about me because I was really clear about who I was. And so this was just a very small example of that, you know, just subbing one episode for another. But it really did work out for me that I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'm instead of doing this barbecue episode, I'm doing this farm one. And the person who might be more excited about doing the barbecue episode is doing that one. So it it actually worked out. Awesome. So then your third TV experience, that one's a little bit different because that was with a private network, right? Not a local network. Yes. Yeah, so, so again, first of all, what does that even mean, by the way, for those of us who right. up on TV lingo? Yeah. So this is something I didn't really know either, but I can kind of tell you how this came about. So a couple of the producers who I'd worked with at WGN, they were amazing. And that was probably like the best part of the show was just working with this really small team and putting the show together. And the whole show was, you know, host, two producers, and then one camera guy. And that's something else that kind of shocked me when like they first called me and gave me all the details. I was like, so do I like do my own hair and makeup or just like I did have no idea. And they're like, yeah, so it's one camera guy. And they actually for the show shot everything twice to get different angles. Oh, yeah. So you could have like the two cameras or, you know, if we were in the kitchen, we would do something twice. So then he could get like the close up shots and get like the sizzles and all of that with no one talking. But yeah, that, that like to me, I assumed it was like this 50 person production and, you know, someone would be doing my hair and makeup. But they're like, cool. No, just show up the day of the shoot. And there's one camera guy. But the producers were were super awesome. After the host, the original host came back from her leave. Obviously, I was no longer hosting the show, but I got an inquiry just a few months later from this private network because producers, I think in any market, they all know each other. They all go from like one network to another to working at private companies, etc. So because I had made it clear to the original producers that I was really passionate about health and wellness, they forwarded me to this network. Basically, it's if you've ever been in a doctor's office waiting room and there's been like TV screens, that's what this company does. So they put TV screens in doctor's office waiting rooms all across the country. They have like tens of thousands of them. So it actually has like a much bigger reach than being on like a local network or like, you know, a local TV. And they like run advertisements on them. So that's like their business. But then they also create all of this original health oriented content that's really targeted to like wherever the office is. So if you're in like a cardiologist's office, they might also have like interviews with cardiologists or, you know, an exercise program that's like appropriate, you know, if you've just had surgery. And so they were like, oh, we're, we're looking for someone to do a cooking show that's really, you know, that could show things that are really targeted for people with like different health conditions like cancer or autoimmune diseases, et cetera, which is like, exactly what I do. And so it was really cool creatively because we weren't constrained by episode length and structure and sponsorships and all of that that you have when you work in traditional TV. They were like, yeah, make the episode as long as you want. You can talk about whatever you want, cook whatever you want. You know, we can shoot 20, we can shoot 10. It was just so flexible. And so on the back end, that looked like them, they kind of booked me for a day each month or every other month, or it was kind of just depending on my schedule. And basically, my compensation was not only for hosting the show, but also like creating the content. Obviously, they covered all the hard costs and things like that. But it was it worked really well for me. It had like a super big reach. 
I actually still get a couple of emails a month. I mean, some of these episodes I shot at least a year, even like a year and a half ago. And I still get emails from people all over the country who are like, I live in Florida. I saw your, you know, chickpea video. Like, this is my question. And it's funny because it's like they're seeing it in a doctor's office. So they're like a very captive audience. Like no one's, you can't switch the channel or, you know, there's nothing really better to look at. But just that connection. I mean, people, my name, Alia Dalal, is not super easy to like remember or spell. And it's like, those are the people who remembered it, remembered to email me later. And so I think that actually had just a really big impact for my brand, my email list. And uh, financially, too, it, it compensated really well compared to the TV gigs. I think I was compensated fine for those, especially, you know, you're really just working for a few hours. But if you have a business logistically, that is kind of complicated because I would have to shoot, you know, go to the farm to shoot this episode, but I would have to cancel on my personal chef client or move them around and still get that work done somehow. So that was a little tricky that I was like, if I did this long term, I don't know what I would do because that money wasn't enough to be a full-time living, but it kind of prohibited me from doing my normal job. Whereas the private network really fit really well into my schedule. I could kind of schedule it whenever I wanted. And, you know, I think I was compensated like very generously for that. So that was, that was kind of exciting where it was going into this. That's not what I would have expected. I'm like you, I didn't know that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I didn't even know that existed. And it is funny because I think without thinking about it, you just have the belief, well, yeah, if somebody's hosting a TV show, like you said, it's their full-time income, like that's their full-time job. But actually, that's not the case. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think what you've done is so inspiring because you've really taken what you started with, which is being a wellness chef and being a personal chef and expanded it in so many different ways. So one thing I really want to talk about this season is income streams. And just getting everyone to expand their mind around what's possible for how to bring in more, like different ways to bring in money in your business. So I was wondering if you could share, obviously TV is one of those ways, but if you could share a few of the ways that you bring in money. Sure. So I started this business in 2011. So it's been about seven to eight years. And so my my income streams have like really varied. I would say throughout the whole time, my bread and butter really has been the personal chef service mostly because it's just so consistent. And so I wasn't necessarily doing that full time, especially the past, I don't know, three to four years, I've kind of limited my clients to like Monday and Tuesday. But it is like income that I can count on. It's also, you know, clients who I love. So it's like pretty easy work. And I think if you're not doing it five days a week, it'll help you not get burned out from it. Because it just physically too, you know, it is is this kind of a challenging job. So that's been kind of my consistent thread of income throughout. I've also taught cooking classes in Chicago for about the last four years. So I'm teaching, you know, maybe two to three a month. So that's one income stream as well. And then consulting the last two years has been a big one too. And so that's kind of split into expert interviews. So that might be company that's trying to come up with like a gluten-free bread and they're like a regular bread bakery. And so they might call me and um, not really want me to like create a recipe for them, but really just interview me on my expertise, maybe technically how I would go about doing that, but more so because I interact with clients a lot, you know, people who might be gluten-free, you know, what are people asking for? What do you see are the trends? 
if we were to do this or this. And so those are that's like really fun for me because you can pretty much just talk and ideate and then you're not responsible for actually executing the idea, which is like a dream job for me. I love brainstorming. And then I've also done consulting that I've actually created products primarily for one Chicago-based company that takes local produce and turns it into juices, dips, and salad dressings. And so when they were getting started, they just hired me as a consulting chef to basically create their whole product line. So it's not my company. So I didn't, you know, take on any of the risk. I don't, you know, not in charge of like manufacturing or marketing or anything like that. But I created their formulas. I'll like tweak them if need be. I also create recipes for them to, you know, post in their community, like things to do with the juices or dips or occasionally do like a marketing event for them too. And that's something that's been really fun and gratifying too. And so my, yeah, income streams, I think the most consistent has been the personal chef service. And then just in terms of hours, it's, probably as a rule, it's almost always going to be more lucrative to create something that someone else can make money on versus creating something for someone's personal use. So I can charge more per hour consulting than I can for a personal chef service. That's not necessarily true. But if you're thinking about how do you take your culinary skills or your, you know, whatever your skill is and kind of expand it, if you can create something for someone else's business, and you're satisfied doing that, and you like doing that, that could be a good thing to explore. Mm -hmm. Wow, thank you for sharing all those. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you started your business, you said what, back in 2011 or so, how much of this did you envision then? Like, (laughs) (laughs) how did that come about? I feel like we're both laughing because we know, obviously, I didn't envision any of it. So I went to culinary school the about the year before, I think I enrolled in 2009, 2010. And I really didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted. I was just really passionate about this relationship between food and health. And I had had a good friend who's uh, around the time, like when we were in our early 20s, spent a lot of time in the hospital. And just seeing like the food she was given there, you know, she was very sick. So it's something that, you know, eating healthier food wasn't going to like turn her life around or or make her better. But just, you know, she was supposed to have surgery and they're just feeding her like jello and like, chicken that looked like three days old and things like this. And I was like, this is, this shouldn't be how it is. Like the healthiest food in the world should be in a hospital. And that really just kind of stuck with me. And that's ultimately why I pursued culinary school. I thought about becoming a dietitian or getting a master's in public health. And I think obviously those are both amazing careers. But for me personally, I was like, you know, I think chefs should be really leading the change in our food culture in this country because, you know, chefs can make it exciting. And even I'll notice this when I, when I teach a class or, you know, if I co-teach or work with a dietitian, you know, sometimes people assume a dietitian is going to tell them what they can't eat and then assume a chef is going to tell them what they can eat. So it's just, it's sort of a different connection with people. And so I really, I just knew I, I wanted to be like a part of that solution, but I didn't really know how. And my degree and my previous experience was in writing and I worked like marketing and PR for a couple of years before I went to culinary school. So I think I just kind of assumed like, oh, I'll be a food writer, like another job that's like not really a job <laughs> as like or as easy to do as like, you know, same thing as like hosting a TV show. So I didn't really know. And when I graduated from culinary school, I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute for Health and Culinary Arts in New York City. And the founder of the school just gave us advice. She's like, just do anything interesting that comes your way, 
which is not necessarily like the best career advice, but as far as like, you know, be having an interesting life. So that's kind of what I did. I kind of accidentally started personal chefing. I had after graduation, I had planned to go to India to work in an Ayurvedic spa in the kitchen. And my personal background is is Pakistani. I'm American, but because that's my heritage, it's actually hard for me to get a visa to go to India. And so I was just stuck in Chicago for a couple months waiting for this visa. And that's kind of when I started personal chefing. I started doing the food tours, really just passing the time until I went to India, which then I did. And, and I worked there and I came back and I was like, oh, I guess I have a business now. <laughs> So it really did just kind of evolve naturally. But when I was deciding to go to school, my something that stuck in my head was that this knowledge is going to be valuable to me, even if I don't work in this field. And I bet that's something that other wellpreneurs can relate to. Obviously, you you know, if you pay money for the, the degree or the certificate or whatever, obviously, you do want to make money off of it eventually. But knowing how to take care of yourself, knowing how to take care of like your friends and your family and just kind of having this this different worldview than a lot of people, I just knew that it would serve me even if I only worked in the field for a couple of years. And obviously, I've, I've worked in the field for a little bit longer than that now. So what were some of the turning points along the way to... I guess it's always interesting to see like how the business develops. So you started off with this personal chef and then like how you actually got to where you are today. Like, could you share a couple big turning points? Yeah. So the first couple years was really just focused on building up the personal chef service. And really, I just did that through relationships with other chefs and word of mouth. And usually when you cook for clients, you tend to cook for them for a long time. So, you know, I'd have a client and then maybe I'd have that same client for three years. So initially, it was really just about trying to get a full-time income and then phasing out the part-time job. And that's really all I was focused on, even though I guess I was focused on it like mentally, but kind of like the TV stuff. Like if you were to ask me what actions I was taking, it wasn't really... I didn't have an email list. You know, I wasn't going to you know, schools or donating to auctions. I wasn't really doing anything to put my name out there. I was just kind of working the whole time. So at a certain point, I was full with personal chef clients and is like always the case for uh, creative entrepreneurs. As soon as I got that, I wanted something else, you know? So I was like, okay, well now I want to, you know, teach and now I want to do TV and different stuff. And it was around, I think it was 2015. I was just kind of learning about marketing. I started listening to a lot of podcasts when you cook by yourself all day for people. You like listen to a lot of podcasts. And so that's when I discovered your podcast or just I my just antenna were up for like different ideas of how to grow a business. It was like this whole new world to me because I'd never taken a single business class or even marketing. I mean, I worked in marketing for a few years, but I was never really like trained in it beyond that. And so that's when I discovered your podcast and actually um, did one of your group programs. And it was just really eye-opening for me. I mean, even something as basic as social media. Around that time, you know, I had an Instagram account. I wasn't really posting to it. Maybe I was occasionally. I just sort of had this panicked feeling like, oh, I should, you know, post something on Twitter and I should post something on Instagram and you should have a lot of followers. And then, yeah, and then these things will all come to you, you know, if you have 20,000 followers, if you have whatever, like these things will just come. But like, you know, I just I sort of felt this panicked feeling of just like needing to be everywhere. And just like as soon as you get big, then things will happen. And it wasn't until I did your group program that I feel like even the first lesson you did was like, 
teaching us the point of social media. And I know this is something you've covered now in other podcast episodes and also in your book. But it was like the point of social media is like a funnel to get people to your original content, like your blog or your podcast. And then that's to get them on your email list. And then the email list is to sell them your service. And obviously, you can use all those platforms slightly differently. But just even that line, it now I feel so silly, but it really, I really didn't understand that. And so now, I mean, it's still something I don't do perfectly. But, you know, if you don't even have something to sell, it's like, well, what's the point of having, you know, posting all this stuff on social media or like it's it's important to have all those different components. And that was really helpful for me. And I think opening the email list was the single best thing that I did for my business that it's still probably not as strategic as it could be. I send out an email once a week. It has like a recipe or a strategy or a download or something like that. It's mostly students who've taken classes with me on it. So it's like a very, I guess, warm list. I don't really have anything else to sell them still at this point other than, you know, other classes or just kind of nurturing my expertise. But I went from having obviously zero people or having like 100 people when I started collecting emails to now having about 2000. Well, and also, I think one thing that's really awesome about what you've done is you really have a personal brand. And I think that shift you know, in the beginning, it sounds like you were starting out just, you know, trying to get personal chef clients. And now, like when I look at your website, everyone should go look at your your website. It's really beautiful. It's such a platform. It's like you as a brand and as a platform. And there's these different ways to work with you and ways to get involved and follow you. And I think that was, that seems like one of the really big shifts is that it's like, yeah, you're doing these different things. You have different income streams, but it's all you, you know, it's all under one umbrella of fabulousness. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's that's like a blessing and a curse for your business. Like, yeah, the best way for me to describe my business is like, it's me and it's all the things I'm interested in. But it has also, you know, there's a downside to that too. You know, if I'm sick, like nothing in my business still goes. So I do have, I mean, I obviously have contractors for different things, you know, like creating graphics or whatever. And then I do for the personal chef service about Two or three years ago, I started having like contract assistants, or I call it like an apprenticeship. They'll work with me. It's paid for for six months and basically do prep with me, wash dishes, things like that. And it's a lot of uh, it's been a lot of people who want to start their own personal chef business. So that's been really that kind of helped reinvigorate me in the field because those are the things you get burned out from is like carrying all the groceries, like washing dishes for an hour a day. And if you just kind of have the company and if you're helping mentor someone and, you know, obviously you can pay someone to do some of that stuff with you. So that's been really good for me. And it is, I think, a a hard field for people to enter without a little guidance. And so that's been kind of fun for me too. I love, you know, telling people again, brainstorming and then not having to follow through on any of it. And that's what I love doing. Um, for, for people who ask me for business advice, I'm like, oh, it's like, hey, you should do this, this, this. And so that's been fun. So if you could go back, you know, to when you were just getting started and give yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself? You know, I think the biggest mistake that I made was I was always very focused on like like the next $100 or those like kind of short-term gains. And I think I really missed some big opportunities to like leapfrog to 
bigger opportunities, bigger income because I was, you know, if some, I really didn't turn down business. So I never liked dinner parties. It was never a good showcase for my food since I did like health oriented stuff. They stressed me out. Like I, it just wasn't good for me. But if someone asked me and I was free that night, I felt like I had to take it. And so I was just kind of working all the time, but I'd be making, you know, maybe $500 doing that event. And I wasn't giving myself this space to create something bigger. So I really did my just income and career was sort of stagnated for a lot of years. Like I mentioned, you know, 2011 to 2015, I was kind of just doing the same stuff or just kind of trying to maintain that status quo. And I think partially it was because I, I used to work in marketing and PR, but in the arts in New York. So I'm not one of those people that's like, Oh, I left my my cushy corporate job. And now I'm doing something I'm passionate about. You know, I kind of went from one kind of low paying passionate career to like another one that's like typically more low paying. So I didn't really have a big cushion. But I think in retrospect, I'm like, you know what, I could have given myself two days a week for three months, like really put some parameters on it and be where I am like today, but like five years ago. So I don't know how rooted in reality that sort of financial panic was, but I really felt it. Like I felt like I had to take on everything. And then looking back, I'm like, you know what, I could have just, I could have made it work. But I just, it was more emotional, I think, than it was real that I just felt like, you know, and I was relatively young at the time. I was 25 when I started my business. So I feel like, you know, my family, my friends, I felt, you know, a lot of people are kind of like watching you and being like, what are you doing? So I think I kind of felt the need to to just make every dollar I could right then. And now looking back and seeing how people who've had, you know, corporate career start a business, they don't do stuff like that. They're not chasing every single hundred dollars that comes their way. And I think now I wouldn't either. But that would be like my biggest advice for people is to lay it all out there, put it all on paper, work with the numbers and see if you can get to where you want to go quicker and not just kind of take everything that comes to you. Mm -hmm. That is such good advice. But I think, like you said, it's so hard to follow at the time because it's like this is rooted in fear, right? And you don't have the trust. Like now you can look back and be like, oh, right, it's going to be fine. So I could (laughs) have relaxed. I didn't need that extra $500. But at the time, you don't trust that it's going to be fine. Like you don't know. So you're like, I better just take it from wherever it's coming from. Right. Because you don't know that the next $500 is coming in. And I think that that's the biggest thing. And obviously, you know, it might not have because I didn't really have a good funnel. I didn't really have any kind of marketing plan or anything to ensure that the money was coming in. But it was more, I guess for me, it was more like guilt oriented that I was like, I'll be so mad at myself if I turned down these dinner parties because I thought I was too good for them or I thought, you know, I didn't want to do them because they're a pain. And then you know, two of my clients quit or move. And then I have no income for two months. Like I'll just, I won't be able to forgive myself, which just sounds so extreme. But if I'm being honest, that's like really how I felt. And I think that's something I still kind of struggle with now is sort of this like guilt associated with like working or not working. I know it feels like even when you have enough money coming in, you still feel like, well, I could be doing more. Shouldn't I be doing more? Like I probably could, you know, I could work a bit extra. And it, you have to really watch yourself. I mean, I struggle with that too and be like, you know what? No, I don't need to keep, I don't need to work all the time to like prove, like who am I proving it to? It's crazy anyway. Yeah, and I would say, let, let me give one more piece of advice, especially for any chefs out there. But obviously, you know, if you're not a chef, I'm sure this advice applies. I think a big issue that I've seen, especially now working with a lot of 
personal chefs and chefs starting up is that almost everyone just does their pricing based on what other people are pricing it at. And if you do the math, like most of the prices out there are too low. And I think that was like a big struggle for me too, is that because personal chefing is such a low overhead business, you know, your clients pay for the groceries typically. So like the thing, your overhead is like your knife, like towels, like things that, you know, you're not even really buying that frequently. So it's really easy to confuse revenue with income. And even now I feel like the the book that really helped me with that, which like a lot of these business books, it could really be just like a pamphlet or just like a one pager, but is the Profit First book by, I would say, okay, by Mike Kalowitz. And basically he just says that you should, whatever, you know, your income is, you should divide it into, or your, what your revenue, let's say. So every hundred dollars that you earn, you should divide it into, you know, your personal income, your expenses, and taxes. And obviously you could divide it into more things than you want of that. But say, you know, even personal chef business, like the the numbers that I use now are 30% for taxes, maybe 15% for expenses. Because even if you think about like your QuickBooks, your my my site is Squarespace, my newsletter is MailChimp, like all that stuff does add up. But even keeping it to 15%, like basically you don't let your expenses go over that number. So every $100 that goes in, you put $15 to the side. And then that's what you're allowed to spend your expenses out of. And then for me, I did, I was not really good about contributing to retirement in my 20s. Um, Another mistake. And so now I'm doing, you know, 15% specifically to my retirement, and then 40% is my salary. And so if you think about it for every, if I get paid $200 for a cooking class, I'm only taking home $80. And that's for planning the class. That's for any groceries I bought to like test it out. That's for teaching the classes or cleaning up. And so it might make you rethink that $200 price tag that it's like, well, I should be getting paid more than $80 to do that. But I think that that's a big mistake probably that a lot of well printers make is you see, oh, people are willing to pay $200 for a private cooking class. It's like, no, maybe that number should be 400 or maybe it should be even higher. And so that would be kind of my other advice too, is to check out that profit first model, but also you don't even need that. I mean, just do some math on your own and really figure out what money you're actually taking home from every dollar that you bring in. Man, really, I should do an episode on Profit First because that it was when I did it, like I took out the worksheets and I actually set up a system. You're, I mean, it's like jaw dropping. You're like, oh, <laughs> you're really, it's just what you said. Like, first of all, it's awesome because you always get paid no matter how little you make or how much, you make, mm-hmm. which that's great because so many people don't even pay themselves. But then the other thing is like, you're right about pricing. Like, oh, right. That's not my income. That's revenue. Yeah really different. Yeah. And I think that's it's like more obvious to people who have maybe more expenses in their business. But I think, you know, I would just do like this really like stupid math to be like, okay, well, I pulled in like 60,000. So probably like 50,000 is my income. you know, And it's like not even rooted in reality. I was just sort of like, I feel like this is probably what it is. Yeah. And so like, obviously, you can check out that book and he recommends you know, actually setting up all of these different bank accounts. I don't do that. I actually, for every check that I get, I just set up an ex- an Excel sheet that, you know, I type the number in at the top and then it gives me, you know, 15%, 30%, 15%, you know, whatever I'm looking for. And then I actually use the budgeting app YNAB, 
you need a budget. So it's Y-A-N-A-B. I use that for my personal finances. And then I relatively recently started using it for my business finances. So then I take, you know, say it's $100, the $15 for expenses then goes into sort of the expense category and and I can use that. And actually the, the thing I left out about the model, it's like the name of it, profit. You're supposed to have like a percentage for your profit too. So it's the amount you get paid for owning the business, not working in it. So that's usually about 5%. So not, not that that's crucial to this interview, but that's like the whole point of his book. So I don't want to leave that out. <laughs> yeah, that is the reason for the title. But yeah, awesome. That's such a good <laughs> recommendation and super eye-opening. But just in general, it's been so it's been so awesome catching up with you and hearing all the things that you're up to. I think you've really, you've opened my eyes about what's potential, like what's possible in television. And I'm sure for lots of people out there too, kind of got their gears turning about what they can do. So thank you so much for being here. Um, Why don't you tell everyone where, like, definitely give us your website and where they can get in touch with you and learn more. Yeah. So my website is just my name, which is Alia Dalal. So it's A-L-I-A-D-A-L-A-L.com. And then my Instagram is the same thing. So just at Alia Dalal. And you can get in touch with me in either of those places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. Great talking to you too, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. Are you totally inspired to do television now? I know some of what she said really surprised me and made it feel really possible. So I think that's a great option. And I'd love to see if you guys get on TV too. So if you do, definitely let us know in the Facebook group, send me an email because I'd love to see what you create. Now, also, Ali has talked about participating in my small group program, which I'm not currently running at the moment, although there's been some interest. So I'm considering it for 2019. But at the moment, if you'd like to work with me personally to help build your wellness business online, um, I am going to open up a few more coaching spots in early 2019. So you can apply for those now and get in the wait list. You can learn about that at my personal website, which is amandacook.me. So if you just go to amandacook.me and then click on work with me from the menu, you'll see all the details about the ways you can work with me, both in a 12-week program and in an individual one-off session, and you can apply right there. Okay, don't forget about Tuesdays in the Facebook group. We're going to be in there talking about 2019 planner. You can grab your own planner on Amazon and then come over and chat with us in the Facebook group. Actually, to be honest, you don't even need the planner to get benefit out of um, what we're going to be talking about in the Facebook group. So come join us anyway. I'm wishing you like a super good week and lots of inspiration for big dreams and visions as you start to think about moving into 2019 and what you'd like to create in your own life and business. It's going to be great. Okay, I will see you back here in the next episode and hopefully in the Facebook group before then. Okay, see you later. Have a great week.